Amen. Why are we here? That is a question that many often ask of mankind and humanity. Why are we here? Why do we exist? But it is also an excellent question for the church of Christ to ask. Why are you here today? Why are we here gathered together as the church around the table of the Lord? And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3 gives us the answer to these questions. We are here very simply because Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. And these verses give us a concise explanation or summary of what the gospel of Christ is. As one commentator put it, the gospel recounts what Jesus Christ did to save sinners. And the gospel is a proclamation, as Paul sets out here, of historical facts concerning the Savior. He died and He rose again, as the Scriptures teach, with the specific purpose of redeeming His people from their sins. We believe these facts to be true, that they actually happened, that Christ died and that He rose again. And then we have the spiritual aspect or the spiritual purpose behind these historical events. We have the truths of the gospel, our sin and our misery and our need of Christ and His death for us. And as He died for our sins, we see the great truths here, how that we can be saved and we can be delivered because of Christ, His Spirit working faith and repentance in us. And these truths that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 are fundamental. They are not truths that we ought to give away. They are not truths that we ought to lose our grip upon within our lives and within the life of the church. These are truths that our faith is built upon. These are truths that the church of Christ is built upon. These are truths that the very mission of the church to go into all the world with the gospel of Christ and to preach that gospel. These are truths that that commission itself is built upon. The whole chapter here, the whole theme of this chapter is the resurrection of Christ. That is a vital and pivotal doctrine of Christianity. And our faith is built upon Christ dying and Christ rising again from the dead. Verse 14 tells us, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. And so the apostle deals with the subject of the resurrection and the importance of it. We are saved and redeemed, and we will be resurrected because Christ was resurrected. But if that resurrection was a fraud, if it never actually happened, if Christ is in the tomb today, then Paul says our faith is vain. Our preaching is in vain. We're wasting our time today. But we're reminded at the end of this chapter, O death, where is thy sting? O grief, where is thy victory? And we have the victory over death and the curse through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter that ought to mean so much to you, dear believer, because it reminds you of Christ's death for you and His resurrection for you, and your resurrection, and your victory because of Him. 
And the apostle is writing to the believers of this church at Corinth. And in commencing his inspired exposition here, he brings them back to the gospel he preached and brings them back to the one who makes our resurrection possible. There have been divisions within this church which aggrieved the apostle and gave him a heavy heart. We can see some of that in the first chapter and in chapter 3 as well. These issues affected their belief and presentation of the gospel of Christ. Paul gives a stirring defense of preaching in the first chapter. It pleased God, he said, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching is foolish compared to the world. It's laughed upon. Why would we sit and listen to preaching? And that is why in many places today, preaching is set aside. It's reduced in time. I think in some churches, I've almost preached too long today. And uh, I will preach longer as well uh, than what they may be used to. Because we believe in the centrality of preaching, the primacy of preaching. It is the reason why we're here to worship the Lord, to hear His Word, to hear the preaching of His Word. It is something that must be done. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, by which you are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how the Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This church and those who were saved within it in Corinth had heard the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message that Paul preached was that Christ had died for their sins. We ought to keep preaching central because the Lord has commanded that. And that is the example we see in the Scriptures. And the message the church was built upon was Christ dying for our sins according to the Scriptures. Paul experienced that. The power of God unto salvation. His life had been changed. He was writing this epistle because of Christ. He was writing to these believers because of what Christ had done for him and what Christ had done for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was his desire, to preach the Savior, to preach this message of how Christ died for our sins. Because there's a message that this world needs. And dear believer, today it was a message you and I needed to hear. And that is why we are here, because Christ died for our sins. And this is a message that had not been conceived by the apostles or conceived by man. It was a message that had been delivered to the apostle by the Lord Himself. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ was central. And in every sermon and every time we come together as God's people, He ought to be central because we are here because of our Savior. And this was a church in Corinth that was saturated with gospel truth. And dear believer, you and I are here today because of Christ. Those of you today who do not believe, you're here today also because of Christ, because of His grace giving you another opportunity to come and to hear the gospel of Christ. We are all here today because of Christ. And the table before us reminds us again of that. We are here because of Christ. 
And so that is our title today, Here Because of Christ. Here Because of Christ. And as we come to the table of the Lord, let us think on this verse, and let us think of how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We are here because of Christ, and firstly, we are here because Christ fulfills Scripture. We are here because Christ fulfills Scripture. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures in view are the Old Testament Scriptures. The New Testament had not yet been completed and compiled, but of course we know that the New Testament, as well as the Old, is part of the Scriptures of God and inspired by Him. And it reveals the person and work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this great truth of Christ dying for our sins is found throughout the Word of God. The types and the figures of the Old Testament point to the one who was to be and is the Savior of the world. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 in the verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 in the verse 15. And here in this passage, we have the proto-evangel, the first revelation of the gospel in all Scripture. This verse shows the mercy of God. Man had just fallen into sin. He had lost his communion and fellowship with God, now deserved his wrath. But God makes a promise, and a great beam of light shines forth from the darkness and depravity of that event in Eden. And we see the Lord says, "'And I will put enmity between thee and the woman.'" And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And in that promise, we see how wonderful the mercy and the grace of God is, that man who had sinned could be redeemed and brought again into that standing that they once enjoyed with God. And this promise continued to be revealed time and time again throughout the history of God's chosen people, Israel. The whole Levitical system, with its offerings and sacrifices, pointed to the great high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of Noah, whose ark is a type of the Lord Jesus, the one who is the ark of refuge for all of His people. In Psalm 22, we read of the suffering Savior, and we'll turn to that psalm uh, just for a moment. Of course, what we're doing is we're highlighting some aspects in the Old Testament Scriptures that point us to the Savior. We couldn't highlight them all, uh, but we're drawing attention to some. And in Psalm 22, we have those words the Savior uttered upon the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there upon the cross, as the Savior died, for His people. And as He suffered, He cried out those words, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He was made sin for us. He was forsaken by His Father for us. He came to die for the sins of His people. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we, we see something of that. Surely He hath borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Lamb was led to the slaughter, the one who would die for us. In Matthew 1 verse 21, 
And we read those words to Joseph about the young child that would be born. He was to be called Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Luke 24, when the Savior resurrected, walked with those disciples to Emmaus, what did he tell them? What did he speak of? He opened to them the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures that spoke of Himself, that spoke of Himself. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. His death is the very purpose and message of Scripture. And therefore, because we are here, because Christ fulfilled the Scriptures, there's a lesson for us that we ought not to neglect the Scriptures or to ignore the Scriptures. We see this especially in light of the Old Testament, The Old Testament can be despised today or cast aside as old and obsolete. It is the New Testament we need, they say. But the Word of God is united. There's a great unity between the old and the new. And the same is true regarding the commandments. Christ's coming and Christ's death did not change those commandments. It did not alter those commandments. When we think of the Savior fulfilling the Word of God, and the Savior and His death being the great message of Scripture, we see that the Christian is to delight in the Word of God. Psalm 1 reminds us of that, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And dear believer, you and I, as we think upon the Lord's table, and as we think upon what the Savior has done for us. We are to delight in His Word that reminds us and shows us and reveals to us all that He is to us. The Scripture directly reveals that His death to us is precious. He is a precious Savior. And when we come to His table, we come to receive grace from Him. We come to remember His death. And how do we know about His death from the Word of God. And that death affects us. And that death that He suffered out of compassion and love for us. Something that should move our hearts. And it's found in the Word of God. And oh, that we would read and study His Word. Oh, that we would have the Scriptures held in high esteem in our homes and in our lives and in our churches. A neglect of that is one of the causes of trouble and problems within our lives. If we heard the Word and obeyed the Word and lived the Word, how different would our lives be? But if we don't know the truth of God, we can't live out the truth of God. So what are we doing? We're living according to our own ideas. And that is very dangerous indeed. The Word of God should be central in the lives of His people, and especially because the Word of God reveals to us the one that we serve, the one who's redeemed us, the one that we live for. It is the Scripture that speaks of Christ. Oh, are you trusting in that Scripture today? Are you looking to the Savior and resting in Him? And as you see this table before you, are you rejoicing that this is the table you can come to? Because it's the table of your Lord. It's the table of your Savior. It's the table of the one who shed His precious blood 
to save you and to redeem you. Secondly, I want you to see that we are here because Christ died for our sins. We are here because Christ died for our sins. That is seen very clearly in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The main thrust in this chapter is, of course, the resurrection, but our focus is on verse 3. It was essential or necessary that Christ died for our sins because we ourselves could never atone for our sins. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We could never save ourselves. We are unworthy creatures. And the table before us reminds you and it reminds me that we could never accomplish salvation ourselves. We are not believers because we reach some high rank or some pivotal point or pinnacle of good works or morality. We are believers because we believe that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This table also reminds those who are outside of Christ that you must not partake. And that as you look upon this table, there is a Savior from sin, and that Savior is not you. And that Savior could never be you. That Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the bread reminds us of His body. The cup reminds us of His blood. It is all about Christ. This table is all about our Savior and not us. It humbles us because we come and we think of our salvation and our redemption, and everything that is before us. Though it was placed here by human hands, it does not speak of human hands or humanity or anything associated with us. It speaks primarily and exclusively of our Savior. It is all about Him. It is all about Him, and that humbles us because we are reminded we are here because of Christ. We are here because He died for us. We are here because we could never save ourselves. And we're humbled by that. We're humbled by our Savior who left the splendor and glory of heaven and came to die for those who were rebels to Him. We're humbled as we sit around this table. It is not something of pride. We do not partake to be proud because we are outstanding Christians, and therefore we have a right to be here. It humbles us because we have no right to be here apart from Christ who died for our sins. It humbles us. It humbles us. Will you rely this morning on yourself in vain? Are you thinking that because of your so-called faith or religion or who you are, that you can come to this table? It is Christ's table by invitation of Him who died for our sins. We do not have access because of our good works, because the Bible reminds us that our good works are as filthy rags. Philippians chapter 3 reminds us 
all the great things that the Apostle Paul had in his background. He speaks about confidence in the flesh, verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So in other words, if you have confidence today in your flesh that you can come to this table and partake, well, the apostle says, I would have more confidence than you because of who I am because I was circumcised, because I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Blameless, he says. All these great religious characteristics for the Jew, but he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. He was nothing because of these things. They were confidence in the flesh, but not a confidence in Christ. And if you're relying on the things of the flesh and things similar to the apostle, then you're not saved, you're condemned. He was a great man of religion, but he still needed the Savior. And if you're not trusting in Him, if you've never repented of sin, if you're coming to this table and in your mind, you're coming in your own merit and in who you are, then you need to take a step back and think of Christ. This table reminds us that He died for us, that He died for His people, and those who believe in Him are the only ones who should be partaking. He suffered, and He died to redeem us. The healing of our sin finds its source in the blessed Savior. Andrew Gray, the Scottish preacher, and I may have said this to you on a previous occasion. It's a great quotation. I've used it many times. And he died at the age of 22. But yet some of his works remain today. And he said, oh, what a sight it was to see those blessed hands that never wrought iniquity to be pierced through. And his precious feet, the sound whereof was never heard in the paths of unrighteousness to be thrust through. And that blessed sight of his pierced with a lance. Oh, what a sight it was to see the infinite and eternal Son of God so handled for our cause. Christians stand astonished at this. Dear believer, oh, that you and I would think upon the death of the Savior, we would stand astonished at His love for us, that He died for us, that He shed His blood to redeem us. We who were sick, we who were without God, we who could never obtain redemption ourselves, but yet that fountain flowed from Calvary to save us. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and His work of salvation is an effective work. We're here today not to receive more justification or more salvation because we partake. We're here today to remember, simply remember what Christ has done because that work is all sufficient. It is a complete and a finished work. The Savior cried upon the cross, it is finished. And that phrase in the Greek is just one word. It means complete, concluded, accomplished to make an end of something, to perform an act that is completed. 
And those things show us what Christ did for us upon the cross. The work of our redemption was completed. And so, dear believers, you come to the table today, you can remind yourself afresh that your salvation that is built upon the Savior is secure. It's secure. You can rest with a confidence and a comfort. For me, Lord Jesus, Thou hast died, and I have died in Thee. Thou art risen, my bands are all untied, and now Thou livest in me. It is an effective salvation. John 10, 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man <coughs> pluck them out of my hand. Oh, our Savior died for us. But Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. What is he saying? Because Christ died, because he's here because of Christ, then Christ's person ought to be excellent, and excellent to us, and prized as our Savior, for without him we are sinners bound for hell. And Paul counted all things in life as nothing in comparison to Christ. He gloried in nothing but the cross of Christ. We're coming out of a season where many may have received presents, maybe nice presents, maybe expensive presents, maybe lots of expensive presents. But if we apply Philippians 3 verse 8 to everything you've received and everything you've received over your entire life, what does the apostle say? He says, I would count all those things but loss because Christ is greater. Christ is greater. Christ is greater than temporal things. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Trampling there upon the things of this world. And while they're beneficial, while they may bring us a little joy, they are nothing in comparison to our Savior. And dear believer, that's the attitude you and I ought to have concerning our Savior, that He comes first, that He is above all these things. The apostle gloried in nothing but the cross of Christ. Tell me, dear believer, do you rejoice in His work, in His glorious, sinless person? Do you praise Him for everything that He has done for you? Is He first in all things? May we, like Paul, publicly profess our esteem of Him and the loss of this world because of the Savior. Are you believing in Him today? Are you living for Him? Do you know Him as your Savior? And then thirdly, I want you to see that we're here because Christ was preached to us. We are here because Christ was preached to us. In verse 2, the Corinthians had received the gospel through the preaching of Christ, and this gospel is the foundation of the church. It was preached in the establishment of the church, and it is preached for the edification of the church. And this reminds us very clearly of the need to place ourselves under a church ministry that makes much of the gospel and makes much of the Savior. And how do we define that? By making the comparison to what Paul is teaching here. 
Are we desirous of a ministry that places the gospel of Christ in its rightful center place? In its rightful center place. This gospel was preached, verse 1, and they were to remember that gospel and receive that gospel. And we know that the gospel opens our eyes by the grace of God to the truths of salvation, and it also teaches us in the ways and the paths of righteousness and sanctification. It's interesting to note that in the original Greek language, the present tense is used here to indicate that they are being saved, and that they are saved and are being saved by this gospel. So, the Corinthians were saved and were being saved by the gospel. And what does the apostle mean by that? Well, when we think of this, justification is that one act of God's grace, but yet there's an indication here, verse 1, moreover, brethren, I do, do declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. Our Christian lives are not merely based upon one moment in which we are saved, but a life that is lived for Christ, and that gospel affecting us, and affecting us going forward for Christ. And this is what the apostle is saying. We're to keep in memory that gospel. We're to stand upon that gospel. That gospel is preached to us, and we believe. And that gospel is preached again and again to us, so that we will stand firm upon it. And Paul is indicating that the Corinthians must hold fast to the gospel. They must not deny it. And the same is true for us. The Christ who was preached by Paul, that gospel that was preached, we're to hold fast. We're to be focused upon the need of that gospel. And the need of that gospel to be preached, we're to support the preaching of that gospel. And Paul is emphasizing something else here, the necessity of preaching these truths about Christ. We can look back at 1 Corinthians 1 and see the importance of preaching. There's a necessity here of preaching the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Dear believer, you are here because Christ was preached to you. Maybe it was a sermon. Maybe it was personal witness. Maybe it was a text of Scripture that you saw. Whatever it is, there was a means of preaching to you. Christ was set forth as the way of salvation. And it is our duty as the church of Christ, because we are here, because Christ was preached to us, we are to be involved and support and pray and attend the preaching of Christ. I notice something else here. The apostle is speaking of the truth. He knows what he's saying is true. He knows what he believes is true. He knows what he is preaching is true. He's not coming to these believers and saying, well, the gospel might be true. And in case it's true, you have to make sure you're right with God. And in case it's true, you have to make sure you stand upon the gospel and live the gospel. But I'm not sure, but just in case, make sure you do this. He's not saying that. He is 
coming down dogmatically. He is preaching and speaking and writing about the truth of this gospel. It is not false. There are no cracks in the gospel. It is true, and he is preaching it as true. It is a convincing gospel, a convincing gospel. And we come to the table this morning because we heard and believed a true gospel, a saving gospel, a sufficient gospel. Let us desire that gospel to be preached and to continue to be preached. How can you be saved then? How can you be sure of salvation? Listen to the preaching of Christ. Don't ignore the Scriptures being expounded and applied to you. Please, that great emphasis upon preaching. Pray for preaching. Pray for God to speak to you by preaching. For it is His appointed means. And then finally, and very quickly, we are here because Christ was believed by us. We are here because Christ was believed by us. They believed, these Corinthians. They put their faith in the Savior. That is the message of the gospel, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer asked the apostle, what must I do to be saved? And the response was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt (coughs) be saved. And we are here today around the Lord's table because Christ died and because we believe by God's grace. The apostle said to Timothy, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There was a belief in the keeping power of God, a belief in Christ for salvation. As we close, where is your belief? Where is your peace and rest? Are you coming around the Lord's table because you have that firm belief in Him? You've trusted, you've repented of your sin. Oh, that you would trust in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymn writer said, He is not a disappointment. Jesus is far more to me than in all my glowing daydreams I had fancied He could be. And the more I get to know Him, so the more I find Him true. And the more I long that others should be led to know Him too. He is not a disappointment. He has saved my soul from sin. All the guilt and all the anguish which oppressed my heart within. He is banished by His presence and His blessed kiss of peace has assured my heart forever that His love will never cease. When we think that we are here because of Christ, do we love Him the way we ought to love Him? Do we believe and trust Him the way that we ought to? Is He a disappointment to us? Maybe not all the time. Maybe that might be our thinking sometimes. The same way that maybe our spouse might disappoint us now and again, or we disappoint them. Christ ought not to be like that. He ought to be our joy all the time. He is far more to me than in all my glowing daydreams I had fancied He could be. He is not a disappointment. Dear believer, He is not a disappointment. As we come around the Lord's table, let us focus upon that, that we are here because of Him. And let us have that joy, and let us have that praise for Him, and that thankfulness, that as we partake of this table, our Savior, whom we are remembering, is not a disappointment. 
Let us desire to love Him, to love Him above all things, that He would be our first love. And unlike the church at Ephesus, we would never let go of that first love. We would not relegate Him to the side, but He would be first and foremost within our lives. May the Lord bless His Word this morning for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us turn in our hymnals to the hymn 137. 137. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 137, we'll stand to sing, and we'll just sing verse 1 and verse 2 only, and then we'll sing the remainder at the end of the table. But verse 1 and 2, standing to sing, and then in due time at the close of this hymn, we'll ask the deacons to come and assist with the Lord's table. 137, verses 1 and 2.